Oh, sorry if my trousers rustle. I'll try and get my leg movements to a minimum. Like a little cicada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's something Dolly Parton didn't have in her arsenal when she wrote... <laughs> Pardon, name what? Jolene. Because, you know, the beginning of Jolene is her nails, her fake nails, rubbing them together like that. Oh. What? My word. The hell. I don't have the rhythm to do the rhythm that she did, but, you know, like, when you have... Well, I know you guys often have fake nails, but um, in case you'd forgotten, if you have big plasticky fake nails on and you do that, it makes a really nice sound. And well. obviously Dolly Parton. I, I don't imagine she's seen her, her real nails in years. Toe nails. <laughs> she can't look down. A is for anything. B for baby blue. C is classy, clams and clogs. D for doggy doos. T is easy. F for flange. E for gammon. H for ham. I for idiot. You're an idiot. I'm an idiot. Jerry. K is kooky. L for lads. Margaret ladies. Lads, lads, lads. M for mummy. N for knock knock. Who's there? P, P, who? Here come Q, U for ugly. V for Venus. W for W. X is hard to comprehend. Why can't I just reach the end? Z for zebra. Zinc and zany. Baglioni. Zip zucchini. Zoo and zoo and zippelin too. The alphabet is really cool. Toenails, what a perfect segue into my topic, which is cheese. <laughs> Horrible. Oh, wait. It's not, it's not a nice segue, but uh, we've all heard of toe cheese. What a broad topic, mm. frankly. There are so many types of cheese in the world. I think there are something like 2,000 individual kinds of cheese. But there are roughly six, seven categories. It depends which website you look at. Um, fresh cheese, so your mozzarellas, your fattas, your ricottas, your burratas, soft white rind, brie, camembert, goats. <laughs> goats. <laughs> no, I, I, the second word is what made me laugh. It's goat's log. <laughs> Oh my God. What is a goat's log? I know it's not really a type of cheese. I think this was a USA. Wait, it's not a type of cheese. It's a goat's diary. <laughs> <laughs> I know that no one in the UK talks about. <laughs> oh no! Oh dear! <laughs> oh, oh, I'm thrilled with that one. Carry on, Gina. Get <laughs> a cloven. Mm. <laughs> Before you even finish that, yes, definitely. Because it's got a split It's got a split for the pen, yeah. <laughs> what? A cloven hoof. Yeah. What's that got to do with the goat's log? Because that, <laughs> because a goat has cloven hooves. It could hold the pen between its got two you. sort of Sorry. Um, bits. Or it could be typing. Maybe that's actually how Dolly Parton's song starts. <laughs> two goat hooves clacking together. Or a goat typing. No, but tell us more about the goat's log. You know those goat's cheeses that you get which are like... Log-shaped. Log-shaped, for want of mm. a better word. So on this website, they had said goat's log, but that's not a type of goat's cheese. That's just a shape of a certain goat's cheese, a soft goat's cheese. Mm. Um, anyway, that falls under soft white rind cheeses. Then you have semi-soft, My which is a telegio, a reblochon. I love a reblochon. I, I knew know. it. I don't know either of those. Jesus. A reblochon's delicious. Telegio. It's quite a small... don't know it. Jelly. What is it? Telegio is a... Well, it's a semi-soft cheese. Yeah. Um, well. Anyway, then you've got hard cheeses, parmesan, manchego, grana padano. Mm. 
blue cheese, gorgonzola, stilton, roquefort, and then semi-hards, which, <laughs> you know, fun name. Cheddar. <laughs> Gouda. Gouda. Oh, is it? Isn't it? Well, I say Gouda, but then you always say Gouda. Because in She's the Man, she goes, my favourite's Gouda. Yeah. Maybe it's a, maybe Gouda is... I don't know. I, I went into a cheese shop recently and I and I ordered some, or I bought some Gouda and I said, can I have some Gouda, please? And then the French man said, some Gouda, okay. And I felt so stupid. But it's not a French cheese. No. So I don't feel like he had the right to be that snobby with me, but, you know. Let's talk about some science. Nay, history. <laughs> cheese predates any record in history. So not... <laughs> Well, what, as on. in cheese came before man? <laughs> no. <laughs> and woman. Sorry. Production, the production of cheese predates recorded history. Basically, we don't have records of the earliest production of cheese. And we know it was over 7,000 years ago. Wow. Um, they found some dried remains in a part of Poland and on the Dalmatian coast from over 7,000 years ago. And then you get stuff in ancient Egypt and um, ancient Rome. It's old, that's for sure. Science, straight in. Does anybody know why Swiss cheese has holes in it? Ooh. For the mice. Rookie error. <laughs> um, well, it must be something to do with some bubble. Yeah, that makes sense. Some form of gas that happens during the fermentation process? It actually comes down to how filthy the bucket that the milk is gathered in is. So, bless you, Jelly. Sorry. <laughs> she just threw up in the corner. <laughs> well, you've asked you talk about your filthy bucket. <laughs> so, basically, the holes in Swiss cheese are caused by tiny, tiny particles of hay from the bucket. And as the cheese matures, those particles of hay create holes and they grow during the maturation process. Um, and over the past 15 years, we have seen, we, the cheese industry, we have seen fewer holes in cheese because modern milking methods mean that it's harder for dirt to get into the bucket. Now, do you know that in the cheese industry, we call the holes eyes and if a cheese doesn't have any eyes in it's called blind cheese <gasps> oh love that a yeah. lot I like that too next science fact cheese is actually a drug in terms of it's being addictive <laughs> yeah so it contains something called I don't know how to pronounce it but I think it's casein and casein fragments which are called casomorphins are present in dairy it's like a morphine like compound and when you eat cheese the casomorphins attach to the same receptors that heroin and other narcotics attach to in your brain wowzers and some researchers think this is to ensure that babies will continue to like what's it called suckle yeah yeah breastfeed <laughs> or uh, sorry oh nursing that's it um, and that would apply to humans and indeed cows and other mammals. So a cup of milk contains 7.7 .7 grams of protein, 80% of which is casein, this chemical that's the morphine-like thing that we're addicted to. If you convert the milk into cheddar, for example, the protein content multiplies sevenfold 
to 56 grams. And as this article that I read on Forbes put it, if milk is cocaine, then cheese is crack. Boom. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) Is there a thing as well? I remember reading about how like everyone always thinks that the soft cheeses because they're all like gooey and unctuous it's like oh they're the naughty ones but actually your parmesan's got a heck of a lot more fat in it than Mm. say a brie well that explains why perhaps we use parmesan more sparingly I mean I don't don't use it sparingly at all but (laughs) I don't (laughs) I love parmesan so much you know what people do not do enough is um, obviously everyone puts on top of pasta and pies and stuff but you pies? know when you, yeah hang on yeah on top of a shepherd's pie or a Ooh, fish pie I would no, never no, do no, that no I would no, put parmesan yes, yes, anywhere yes. near fish or, or I know it sounds bad oh maybe on a spag bowl <laughs> or like a lasagna <laughs> which kind of is a pie but I'd, I'd I'd go for a cheddar on a lasagna on the top Whoa, no, no 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 or please. a mozzarella a parmesan Whoa. on a lasagna you can do- are you out of your trees hang on mozzarella no, on a lasagna are you out of your tree the, the- bechamel is already acting like a very nice mozzarella true true no I recently true. made a really nice vegetarian lasagna that did not have bechamel and it did have mozzarella what people don't do frequently enough with parmesan is you know say you're in Italy and you go for an aperitivo you get a drink and a bowl of olives and then you get a small bowl of just chunks of parmesan yeah Mm. like nutmeg sized parmesan chunks what a delight (laughs) Uh, yeah okay so in 2016 there was a study done found that 6% out of 332 people disliked cheese so much that they were disgusted by it the study was looking at cheese hatred and found that a key area of the brain associated with a reward which is called the ventral palladium is deactivated in cheese haters. Well, hang on a minute. So just from birth? I don't know, because this is another thing. I mean, you, you buck that trend because you were you were born with a hatred but overcame it. Yeah. Well... the tr- A real struggle, you really... No, this is, this is actually interesting you say this because they've done studies with children and basically between, the, between birth and the age of two you don't really have a sense of disgust for anything. So they've like done tests with children, feeding them things, and they mixed up something that basically smelled like poo. But it was obviously edible. It was like, I can't remember, some mix of... Poo's um, not edible. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> I've been going very wrong. <laughs> I can't remember what it was, but they mixed up something that smelled really bad. And um, infants and people under two didn't have any qualms with putting it in their mouth. But then after the age of two and before five, you develop a sense of disgust and an aversion to things that smell decaying. But then it reverses for most people. So then you, you, whether it's to do with what you've observed or who you're around and what your parents are eating, you then don't mind it or you're willing to risk putting this decaying thing in your mouth. Fascinating. So, but it's, it's, I feel like this is really ongoing research that there aren't massive conclusions yet. Because it is just, it really is just off milk, isn't it? Well, exactly. And the classic stimulus for disgust is decay as an odour. And the cheese making process begins with curdled milk, which I don't think even cheese lovers like the smell of curdled milk. No. So... It's so grim. No, but also 
the milk that we buy is pasteurized, right? So when that goes off, it stinks to high heaven because it's gone through a completely different process. Oh, that's a good point. Cheese isn't made with pasteurized milk. Mm. I love cheese and I love, like, life. <laughs> love cheese, love life, live, laugh. But <laughs> why do we, why it's so weird that we are drawn to this disgusting thing? Well, I came across a term which was benign masochism and they apply it to eating chilies or watching horror films. So when I say chilies, I mean like any spicy food or watching a horror film, something that, that's kind of harmful to you, but you're drawn to it. And it the fact that it's kind of naughty or dangerous makes you want to do it more. And maybe stinky cheese falls into that category. Do you know what the stinkiest cheese in the world is? Um, it's going to be French. Bishop something. It damn well is French. Stinking bishop. No, that's one of the stinkiest, but the smelliest, which they measured with a robotic nose, which seems like an odd way to go about it. Because, but they, I don't think it was called a robotic nose. It was called something more sophisticated than that. But just picture a robotic nose. It's much more enjoyable. It's called Vieux Boulogne and uh, it's been unbeaten for years and it's been described as a cloying cross of rotten leeks and farmyard pong. Wowzers. Farmyard pong. But but I think the second stinkiest cheese is a poisse, um, a poisse de Bourgogne, which is banned on French public transport. Really? Yeah, it's illegal to have it on your person. Is that- I agree with that rule of banning really stinking things on public transport. Yeah, when people whip you out You better get off egg. the train, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, finally, I'd like to share with you a French phrase... <laughs> Why are you looking in my eyes like that? I don't know, it's really hard not to. They're, they're glistening at me from across the booth. <laughs> the French phrase was laissez aller le chat au fromage. It means, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Beautiful pronunciation. <laughs> to let the cat go to the cheese. Um, it means a woman who's let a man have sex with her. Oh. oh. So it's basically <laughs> letting the cat have the cheese. Like the cat that got the cream kind of bird. So yeah, I guess is so. the cheese the woman? The woman or her yeah, yeah. privates? I think <laughs> privates. And is the cat the man? I think or the his privates. privates. Oh, oh no, I don't think it's I don't think that refers to the genitals. Sorry, the cat that got the cheese. It's letting the cat get to the cheese. Do cats historically love cheese? My cat likes cheese. Okay. I don't give them too much. Yeah, you'd think it would be mouse. Yeah. Or the cat gets the mouse. But but we do or say the, mouse the cat... gets the cheese. The mouse Anything. is interchangeable. <laughs> Anything but that. I think the cat that got the cream is a classic, so it's not far stretch for it to love cheese. Cheese yes, isn't very sexy, though, is it? Cheese is very sexy. Mm, is it? I, I know, sort of, I think, where I'm, I'm coming from. I'm quite surprised but... to hear you say that. It hurts a little. I wouldn't want the idea of cheese and sexual activity being combined. No, not or the smell like anything to do with cheese and smell and sex. Yeah, well, it's it's you know the cheese and wine thing. It's quite a kind of sexy hour. Oh yes, of the evening. It's romantic and in that sense, but that again, it's just context, isn't it? Think of a red wine lip and a a a nibble of cheese. I don't like a red wine A, a red wine mouth. Is very unattractive. Yeah, it makes me think of like orcs from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. With their kind of rotting blue teeth. <laughs> yeah. And <I've>... cheesy bread. <laughs> oh, it's got me going actually. 
<laughs> and cut. <laughs> well, I think that does kind of bring things to a nice close. That's that. Moving on. Done. I thought long and hard about what to do for this and I toyed with crisps because I thought not that much to say but I just love them so much and I know that both of you two are quite partial to a crisp Mm -hmm. I just think they are sent from the gods and so really this is just an opportunity for me to say thank you crisps (laughs) for all you've done for me I'm going to tell you a little bit of history about them Mm -hmm. to start with the earliest known recipe for something that is remotely similar to today's potato chip Dates all the way back to 1817. A man called William Kitchener wrote a book called The Cook's Oracle in which he described the process of cutting a potato very thinly and putting some salt on it and frying them. And it was a bestseller on both sides of the Atlantic. But there is quite a fun little myth about crisps that lots of people think is how they started but actually isn't just isn't true at all which is associated with a a man called George Crumb (laughs) I mean you'd think that people might guess that that bit might be made up oh so he he is he's made up well I don't actually know if he is made up but the story goes that he was a cook at something called Moon's Lake House and he was trying to appease an unhappy customer who kept sending back his chips because they were too thick and too soggy. So this guy, George Crumb, just kept slicing them really, really thinly until eventually he got to what was now known as a crisp and the customer loved it. And then that's how crisps were born. But not true. (laughs) (laughs) But I really love that that's just a thing. Like, where the hell did that come from? Moon's Lake House sounds great. Yeah, I want to go. Can you you guess what the oldest brand of crisps might be? Yes. Have a go. Um, Is it Kettles? No, Salt and Shake. Oh, that oh. makes sense, yeah. I never liked salt and shake. That's the only crisp that I just don't get. Well, you yeah. just don't get that distribution of flavour. Exactly. You end up with one crisp that is incredibly salty. Yeah, and, and it's always just plain. it's a bit of a letdown because the process is definitely fun as a kid. Like finding a little salt packet in there, you know, shaking it about. Everyone used to have them in their packed lunches in my primary school. They just like, yeah, they're so meh. Yeah. Mm, agreed. And then back to the story of crisps. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm imagining this is a wedding speech (laughs) when I get married to a crisp yeah (laughs) Um, Mike Sells Potato Chip Company claims to be the oldest crisp producer um, in America and Ohio in 1910 that was when they started being mass produced and a decade later they came to the UK and all all flavours were just salt and salt (laughs) salt and salt and seasoning didn't come in until an innovation by Joe Spud, in inverted commas, Murphy, who was the owner of the Irish crisps company Tato. <gasps> My favourite. Everyone, people love them. People do say that Tato's are the absolute best. And he developed technology to add seasoning during manuf- manufacture, which resulted in the world's first seasoned crisps, which were cheese and onion. Now, who can tell me or who can get the closest to how many flavours of crisp there are? Are we including those kind of wacky specials? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we are. There's I'm quite a few. Seventy. Oh, Gina. No. A hundred. Wait, let me have a guess. Before yeah, yeah. I'm looking we, at you. You were inhaling like you were about <laughs> no, to speak. <laughs> no, no, don't you worry. A hundred and forty-eight more. Two hundred and thirty-two. 
More. 800. More. 2,068. <laughs> 1,296 flavours of crisp. What? How it's, many of those are variations of cheese flavour? Like flaming cheese? Yeah, it will be. Yeah. And there's so many chilli ones as well. But like I, tomato. Tomato is weird, isn't and it? And like spicy tomato. Yeah. Herby tomato. But I found in my researching a website that simply calls itself the Museum of Crisps and it is absolutely insane I love it so much it's just set up by two people in lockdown who were really bored and who absolutely love crisps and they've got like the whole history of crisps on there it's where I got most of my on there <laughs> um, my information and they have catalogued every single flavour of crisp that, that's ever been reported people like report to, back to them on new flavours of crisps they they find what amazing work mm. oh just good honest work Um, Some flavours that really took me by surprise. Egg prata with fish curry. Egg what? Prata. (laughs) You can say it like that, darling, but I don't know what it means. (laughs) Yeah, what is that? I don't know. Oh, I see. Um, Yoghurt and green onion. That sounds delicious. Yeah, that sounds good. Cajun dill gator tater. (laughs) Again, I can imagine that being quite tasty. That's right up your street, Gina. Oh, Marie, this one would have us... On the loo. Scotch bonnet, chilli pepper. (laughs) (laughs) Don't out me. Sorry. (laughs) Um, And there's also, which just really, apparently, obviously, doesn't contain any traces of the animal, but there's a squirrel favour. I remember that. They did Cajun squirrel walkers. Yes, yes. And a hedgehog as well. No! (gasps) But but doesn't, obviously, no animals were. What is the point in even pretending to know what a hedgehog tastes like? From this website which uh, if anyone is a crisp fan I really do think just get straight on it because it's brilliant I'm going to give you 12 facts about crisps that I bet you didn't know (laughs) at least I hope you didn't know the earliest reference to crisps in a work of fiction is in a Charles Dickens novel can anyone tell me which one it might be? Oliver Crisp Bleak House (laughs) wrong wrong Tale of Two Cities (gasps) of course (laughs) <laughs> but it, why? Why do they come up in a tale of two cities? Well, in it, he refers to the snack as husky chips of potatoes. Mm. Just call them crisps, Charlie. Husky? Yeah. <laughs> uh, two, which you already know, Cajun squirrel flavoured crisps exist, and hedgehogs, although no animals are hurt in the making of the process. Three, this is really good, Walker's Plain Crisps have a decibel rating of 70.6. This is slightly louder than the sound of a car passing at 65 miles per hour from a distance of 25 feet or the noise of a vacuum cleaner. As in the crunch. Really? In, when it's, so how you hear it when you're crunching the crisp yourself? I assume so, yeah. Or if you're doing it very obnoxiously up against <laughs> someone's ear on the tube. <laughs> yeah, it's not like someone at the other end of a park eating them. Obviously that would be a hugely crunchy crisp. Imagine. <laughs> Number four, Laura Scudder is said to have created the first modern bag of potato crisps. Previously, crisps were mostly sold out of wooden barrels or scooped from behind glass counters like sweets. Mm. The sound of crunching contributes to the pleasure of eating crisps. A study shows that consumers who eat crisps with headphones on become bored more quickly. Americans eat about 1.85 billion pounds of potato chips a year or about 6.6 pounds per person per year. I probably eat more than that in a year. Yeah, you do. I mean, does a day go by where I don't eat crisps? Yes, I suppose it does, but... how often... does two days. No. <laughs> how often do you two, do, would you say, you eat crisps? Not every day. I go through phases because I find crisps make me struggle with self-control more than any other mm. food item. Super so I go through like, 
I would say a three week pattern where I will eat them every day and then I will be like, ah, that's bad. You can't eat that many crisps. And then I'll stop for two or three weeks. So it's quite intense bursts. Mm. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I, just want I think I only have them maybe like once every 10 days. Ooh, mama. But that's if good. I'm on tour, yeah. that's a different kettle of <laughs> chips. <laughs> um, yeah, then there's just readily available crisps everywhere. And it's, yeah, I struggle with um, self-control around them as well. Yeah, I think I think I could live with absolutely if if I had to give up everything I could most most like I think I could give up alcohol I think I could give up all other foods but I genuinely do not think I could never eat a crisp again I just don't think I could do it I wonder is that do you think that's normal <laughs> you you would be one of the subjects of the, those sort of um, Channel Four shows in two thousand and three yeah forty flirty and eating crisps. <laughs> Number seven, on September, blah, blah, Corker's Crisps, based in Pymore, created the largest bag of crisps on record, weighing 2,000 pounds and 77.52 ounces. This is interesting. A brand of chips called Fail Chips uses the tiny pieces that are typically found at the bottom of bags of crisps. The company argues that these sediments are the tastiest, and an initial quantity of 200,000 packets were distributed free of charge but they're yet to hit the shelves commercially. Ooh. Um, a single fake crisp brand appears in many TV programmes, which is quite interesting. Just what they, just everyone seems to use this one fake crisp brand. It's called Let's Potato Ch- Chips and has featured in Orange is the New Black, Arrested Development, My Name is Earl and other popular TV shows. Interesting. So it's like library music, but crisps. Yeah. This... Also interesting. I keep saying this about every fact. I just love crisps. Um, an Ohio man suffers from a condition called autobrewery syndrome. One symptom of this rare disorder is that the body converts crisps into alcohol in the stomach. <sighs> what? what? So he was getting drunk off. Crisps. I guess. I guess maybe that's how they figured it out. But it can't just be crisps that would this was happening with. I don't have any more information on it <laughs> other than that. I'm afraid to say, but that is a huge. Huge thing. Yeah. And then during World War II, crisps were declared a non-essential food in the US and production stopped. But after protests, crisps were reclassified as essential and production resumed. Aww. Quite right. at the front of the protests. What are you guys' favourite types of crisp? Walker's salt and vinegar. I mean, that was my true love from a young age. Yeah. And then I would say a kettle's ready salted. (laughs) Okay, okay, interesting. And then I would have to say a disco. Whoa. Sorry? Discos. They're the round salt and vinegar, cheap as chips, but 39p, which is very cheap in this day and age, I would say. Mm. Very, very vinegary. More vinegary than any salt and vinegar crisp I've ever tasted even the co-op ones because those are insane they are, are you talking about the co-op like Chardonnay own Chardonnay white wine vinegar yeah. Um, yeah more vinegary than that worth this will take your tongue out of your mouth and do we have oh Marie you didn't say yours I'm so sorry no, I didn't <laughs> well now well I actually I like a prawn cocktail mm. August prawn cocktail mm. um, I like a Doritos chili heat wave mm-hmm but do you get a burning bum afterwards if you don't mind me not, not with those I do Oof. yeah not girl. good girl girl um, yeah those would be my two and I, I, I do just like salt and vinegar 
I, I like them all, but yeah. like if I was going to pick one in my meal deal, it would be yeah. probably one of those two. For the last portion of this C, Chris, but I would like to do a taste test with you two ladies. You're going to have to close your eyes, I think, is probably the best way to do it. And it is a competition, but also you're probably going to agree on most of them but you're going to close your eyes I'm going to hand you both a crisp and you're going to tell you're going to have to identify the brand and the flavour oh my god I'm very excited me too okay so <laughs> All right. are we closing our eyes close your eyes please ladies okay. and if anyone can identify the crisp from the rustle of the packet <laughs> automatic win okay that's a thick packet first up this is the first crisp Bebo. For you, milady, and for you. Oh, I know what that is. <laughs> kettle salted. Marika? Yeah, kettle salted. Okay. Yeah, you're both correct. A point each. Time. <laughs> no, you can have a, you can have the next crisp. Oh yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay. And then you can have another one. This is the next one. <laughs> oh, I know what that is. <laughs> That's not. Oh wow. Oh. It's um beef. barbecue oh. beef hula hoop smoky beef <laughs> barbecue yeah. beef isn't it? Is that the name? No, of the flame grilled steak. Okay, it's I need a your, giant hula hoop. I'm going to need your answers. Gina, keep your eyes closed. I already said it. Flame grilled steak hula hoop. And Marika, you're saying oh, it's a giant hula hoop. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a meat. It's a meat. It's a beefy meaty. So steaky. Yes. I you, mean, you've 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 already said it. Is it barbecue beef? Yeah. Oh. Marika, Marika, I think, gets the point on the flavour. And I, I said giant as well. And you said giant. giant. Are they actually giant? No, I thought hula hoops are actually the same size, but the bag is big. Well, it no, says, no. No, it says big hula hoops. They're, they're big, big ones. Big hoops. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you got me. So, Marika, I think, just about clinched that one. Next. Oh. Oh, this is a firm favourite. There's some feeling going on from the ladies. It's from McCoy. It's a salt and vinegar. Salt and vinegar. Yeah. McCoy, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done, guys. <laughs> okay. On to the next one. Also a favourite of mine, actually, and a favourite flavour of mine, which is quite controversial given the flavour of these ones. Dorito. Shangy cheese. Cool original. Natural cheese. Oh. Cool tangy cheese. Shangy cheese. Okay, Jeannie, it's- you're saying cool original. Marika, you're saying tangy cheese. You're right, Gina Miller. It is uh-huh. cool original. Um, now, last but not least. Tastes like plastic. Interesting. Okay. There's been a lot of I think I might... Can I guess this from the packet? Yes, you can. Skips. Is it a French fry? (laughs) Well. No, sorry, what's it called? I Um, mean, there has been some... Chips. Chips sticks. No, it's not. It's a skip. It fucking says a skip. (laughs) Can I just... Gina. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Oh, it's a skip. For the record, Marika guessed that from the opening of the packet. (laughs) I would just like to point out. That can I open sen- my eyes now? Yeah, you can. That is sensational. It's a thin bag. Very, very good. Yeah, and very I, good. I would also like to say that you both got quite a lot of them before even putting them in your mouth from the shape. So that went better than I could have hoped. But it was a no-brainer when you gave me a hula hoop. Yeah, no. and a monster munch, I suppose. A big hula hoop. You didn't was... get that one right, Gina. No. So yeah, don't you... say it's a no-brainer. <laughs> you with your no-brainers? I can't take this. I was hoping to find a knick-knack for you in particular, oh, yes. and saucy, but sadly not. And thus ends the crisp section. I am going to be talking about crying. 
wah wah. (laughs) (laughs) Crying. Why do we cry? Oof. Anyone have any ideas? Because we're sad. As in scientifically, why? Yeah, obviously there's certain triggers as to why we cry, but what's the purpose? Is it something to do with the salt and cleansing your tear ducts or something? Um, No. Basically, the answer is we don't really know. Mm. I feel like every time I do anything on this, that's the answer. (laughs) We don't really know. We don't really know. My favourite kind of answer. Yeah, but there are lots of theories throughout the ages that are quite interesting. So the Old Testament describes tears as the byproduct of when the heart's material weakens and turns into water, Um, Mm. which I was thinking about that, and I I would say from a kind of pre-sciencey time, I guess when you feel sad, you feel it in your chest. You yeah. feel like emotion in your chest. So it's like chest pain leads to water coming from eyes. Maybe that was the logic. Yeah, yeah. makes sense to me. There you go. And then there was a theory from the 1600s was that emotions and particularly love heats the heart and so that it generates water vapour in order to cool itself down. And the vapour rises into the head and condenses near the eyes and escapes as tears. Wow. To be honest, that sounds as sciencey as any answer you could get. We could just go with that one. But then they found tear ducts later on in the 1600s. So then they started seeing it more as a scientific kind of biological thing. And the reason that we have tears going on is, is to mainly keep the eyes moist. But those are called basal tears <laughs> or basil tears, but not like the herb. So that's just lubricating the eye and it's a kind of mixture of oil and mucus and water and salt mucus coming out of your eyes is coated on our eyeballs Mm. oh so that it doesn't evaporate wow makes sense yeah checks out so actually that's why Marika's eyes are shining at you it's my basal fluid (laughs) it's your mucus (laughs) I've got very mucusy eyes today Mm. (laughs) must be the heat Um, and so when you're blinking you're coating your eyes constantly to keep them moist so that you can see properly and then obviously there's getting sort of irritants in your eyes so that's a different kind of tears so that's when you might be chopping onions or throwing up um, that feels a lot more watery when when those things are happening yeah because it's I guess it's a flushing and then you've got these ones the psychic slash emotional tears which are the ones that we don't really know so much about and there's something very very interesting about these as opposed to basal tears um, or irritant tears so the tears you cry when you're chopping an onion are different to the tears that you cry when you're sad in their actual build-up. So when you're crying because of emotions, it contains more protein, which makes the tears more viscous. So they basically stick to your face um, and take longer to run down, which means that more people will be able to register that you're having an emotional response for a longer duration of time. Wow, that's so clever, isn't it? Um, They also flush out a stress toxin as well, those tears. so they think, based on that, that the fact that it's visualising an internal emotion, it's kind of like uh, there's an element of, it's a signal to say that I'm helpless and I can't cope and look after me. It's also kind of like finding human connection and bonding and can be manipulative as well. And it's kind of this hangover from when you're a baby and like all other species have like calls that their babies do when they're in distress. But generally other animals are born in a much more uh, functioning way like they can start walking straight away and have a lot more kind of developed senses and stuff like that whereas we're very helpless and I think because of that we have this delay so as we get older we still kind of go back to these like very much more kind of premature responses to things Mm. so yeah that's kind of the only what they've found out about it and that's about it apart from that it's pretty vague also you cry when you laugh as well Um, yeah of course but I think again that might be to do with just 
a mixture of kind of hormones and also the squeezing of the eye. Because that would, I, I cry frequently when I laugh and I don't have the science to back this up, but I think it's more the onion crying than the emotion sad crying. Like yeah. just, it, it flushes out much more quickly and like thin yeah. than yeah. when you have like a big loopy sad cry. And when I laugh, when I cry when I laugh, my face doesn't, my whole face doesn't really go red. Whereas when I cry, if I'm sad, I get red like oh, yeah. full blown red I face. get hives all over my face as well when I'm properly crying do you think that's a stress thing or it, do you think yeah it's... it must be kind of stress and I actually haven't like looked this up but I would imagine it's kind of a stress again like another signal to be like help me yeah. I'm, I'm struggling and also I feel like when you cry when you're sad it's a lot more snotty yes true. and yeah. you're so the, the tear ducts which I get actually where like so the tear ducts I feel like you know these two little bits right in the in, inside parts of our eyes I think everyone always thinks that the, the tears sort of well up from there and come out. But yeah. they're, it, they're draining there so that they go down those holes and through your nose and out. Ooh. So that's why I imagine when it's a more viscous tear, that's you get the really snotty, stuffy nose rather wow. than it kind of coming down the edges because it's a lot lighter. Oh, so it's just draining out of your nose, the yeah. tears. Yeah. No um, way. So our basal tears are constantly draining just through our nose. and, and Through our nasal through our nasal our basal goes through nasal <laughs> and um, that's probably contributing to like also the mucus that builds up in your nose so anyway snot. and stuff like that snot yeah as well as all the other shit you pick up in there like dust and stuff but your tear glands are actually up way high kind of just under your eyebrows between like the eyelid and the eyebrow and they produce the liquid and the tears that then come down from under your eyelids down across your t- your eye and then wow. drain from the little duct they don't and it's funny because I feel like I've seen in cartoons and yeah stuff, they go like they bursting f- or, or they fill up from the bottom and then roll out yeah, but that's not the yeah. way it is yeah yeah good point that's um, definitely a thing bloody artists don't know <gasps> what they're doing I know fools um, so yeah that's the kind of sciencey sciencey bit um, how are you guys with crying love it and do you do it often uh, probably once a month. I don't know. I'm happy to cry, but yeah. I don't like crying in public because my face really contorts. I look very ugly crying. Um, you know, some people just look Gorgeous. terrific <laughs> when they cry. Like one yeah. single tear just rolls down the cheek. Well, some people don't go red, really, which I feel is very unfair. Yeah. Yeah. What so, about you, Jal? Do you cry often? As a child and young adult, I never cried at all like was really just not very good at processing my emotions in any way whatsoever and I definitely cry more as I've been getting older like with every year that goes by I cry more <laughs> which maybe isn't is more of a sign about my life <laughs> actually now I'm thinking about it but uh, and I find that I'm really that I used to not cry in films or anything like that and now when I see someone else crying it's I just it makes me go I find yeah. it really, like if someone else is really visibly distressed. But I don't particularly like the feeling of it at all. It makes me feel very out of control. Um, what about, do you have any sense of catharsis from crying? I always just end up feeling embarrassed afterwards. Because there's, there's two types of people where you, there's somewhere you cry and it puts you in a better mood because you feel like you've released something. And there's people who cry and then immediately afterwards feel even worse. But even those people, when they checked their mood a few hours later, it was better than it was before they'd cried so yeah. ultimately like it's supposed to always lead to some kind of catharsis but I guess that's thinking more about the sort of social stigma and the shame it's I don't know why it's embarrassing I think it's a loss the loss of control thing totally. must be I've found something interesting that women cry about 60% more than men 
That, mm. I think, must be societal, right? Well, that's, of course, you know, thinking, this is crazy. Everyone should cry as much as they, you know. Yeah. But men have smaller tear ducts. Really? Yeah. Mm. So there is, there, for some, there is a... Uh, sort of biological difference it's and, um, because women need looking after more <laughs> there was also a study that said that men found women more sexually ar- uh, <gasps> attractive after they'd been crying I can corroborate this not, find women not as a man sexually. who finds women sexually <laughs> when they cry no um, the time in my life when I've been like spoken to in the street or hit on more I mean I don't. that doesn't happen to me much but there was this one time that I was walking and three people in the space of 15 minutes like not in a oh are you okay kind of way but like hey beautiful and I was sobbing what that is crazy that's nuts is it do you think it plays into that thing of yeah like feeling like we're looking after someone or help like I don't know maybe it's just people that are drawn to I don't know I'm also imagining that um, Gina walking down the street and she's crying and actually what's happened is she's like done like a Regina George or something and cut the front of her like top off yeah. and all these guys <laughs> and you're like I'm crying yeah <laughs> I should mention I was naked yeah <laughs> um, there's also a link though more more to women that there's a chemical in, in the tears as well that links to the production of breast milk which I think I actually touched on oh, yeah. last time so there, there's also another reason potentially why we're more prone to I don't know getting mm. emotional about things and showing it I think obviously men get emotional but maybe find it harder to show it just you know because they've got smaller ducts although smaller ducts means bigger dicks <laughs> <laughs> yeah no there'll be more overflow yeah get yes, your ducts true. in a row yeah is there a time in your life where you've sort of cried in maybe in public or in, you know in front in a situation that's felt very uh, embarrassing and really stuck out at you Mm. Oh, that's a good question. This isn't like one one situation, but at school, if you got told off by a teacher, it was just, even though you weren't sad or, I don't know why, it would just bring tears to my eyes. Yeah. And then especially like, I remember one time walking away and this teacher, had this really scary teacher had told me off. And then it was like, it wasn't a big deal. It was so impersonal and I didn't feel offended or anything. Um... And I walked over to my friend after and she was like, are you okay? And then the question is what made me cry. Mm. Yeah. I think I, it's um, always quite weird when people say, are you okay? Because how the hell do you interpret that? You feel very observed, I think, when that happens. Yeah. And you, it's like then the facade just drops because they've already, they've kind of tuned into you. But no, it's interesting because the teacher thing is my big horrible crying time is exactly that. I was in a science lesson when I was like 11 and like yeah I hate being told off by by anyone but teachers has always been very stressful when you're a kid and I had been drawing on the side of my work <laughs> I drew a guitar that was in the shape of a naked woman um, and she had a full bush very on brand yeah <laughs> boobs and like, it was like the body of the guitar was her body and then the kind of neck went up um, it was actually an incredible design very like metal thrash metal and then um I was also draw- I was drawn some caterpillars, like on other parts of it, literally just caterpillars. And um, I took my work up to the front because I was like struggling with it and everyone was working quietly. And the teacher at the front of the classroom started to shout at me for doing pornographic drawings on my work um, and was just like screaming at me. And I just, I just couldn't hold on. And I just burst into tears, standing at the front of the class, oh like where God. the teacher stands. Oh. And I was, I was probably like 11, 
and he was so horrible about it as well also um, just I think unnecessary completely unnecessary also if you're going to interpret a caterpillar as a pornographic drawing like yeah. that's on you babe like, yeah I'm pedo <laughs> I had to say it <laughs> well yeah why would you think that a child is, is like that that's going to be coming from anywhere well it's like not that? like you handed someone a note and then they sniggered and you were like yeah I just drew that yeah. this was a piece of work that you were approaching him with to say yeah I'm struggling with this so yeah. obviously you're not doing it to be naughty yeah well maybe he called me up actually and I was like oh just thinking about it then I think that if I'm on my own and I cry I feel better but if I'm with people it's other people's reaction to me crying that makes me feel even if they're like nice which we talked about earlier but yeah I I, I I would agree with that crying alone feels quite like glamorous even if you look really ugly have you ever taken that do you ever cry into the in the mirror yeah oh it's so (laughs) ugly no I I don't I would I get too grossed out on myself I think yeah I always if I cry and then I go it's like if I go and then brush my teeth like an hour later or something to go to bed and I see myself in the mirror it's like this yeah it's this the red blotches the puffy like I just look like a kind of like someone's inflated me slightly Mm. and it's it's, (laughs) yeah it's disgusting yeah but it feels good yeah yeah but yeah even crying in front of someone that you know you're safe with it just is a whole different whole different flavour to it it's like Mm. you feel like you're performing I think for me it's more that I've given something up like I've let someone see like I've got I've let the walls do you know what I mean sorry I've let the walls do you know what I mean but it's rather than performing (laughs) for me I think it's the opposite of performing because it's a thing of like you're like a raw little baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't start <laughs> hurling insults around just before we finish. You're like a raw little baby. You raw little baby. It's like, um, are we all Harry Potter fans here? Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, at the end of book seven, when Harry briefly dies and there's that chapter in King's Cross. Spoiler yeah. alert. <laughs> um, and he goes to King's Cross and he's dead for a moment and he speaks to Dumbledore and there's this weird form underneath the bench mm. and it's it's Voldemort. Yeah. And he's like this raw little baby. <laughs> <laughs> what else can I say? He's a raw little baby. Yeah. I've and it's it. like that's that's what crying is. Yeah. Yeah, it's very um sort of revi- like revealing. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um so yeah, but you know that's an interesting one, isn't it? Mm, it really is. It certainly is. Thank you for listening to episode C of A is 4 with Marika, Jelly and Gina. Join us next week when we'll be dissecting dating, deconstructing dreams and distilling drinking. And if you want to find out more information, you can find us at A is 4 podcast on Instagram. A is 4, A is 4, A is 4, A is 4.